Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and experts say that everyone has a responsibility to help address the problem. But how? Also this morning, how do top companies keep top talent? 20-year HR veteran Joe Mole talks employalty for a new age of work from his new book. Happening around town, neighbors helping neighbors. Volunteers are still needed for this year's Backyard Mission Trip event. We'll get details. And in today's Throwback Thursday for Holy Week, with the incredible advancement of human knowledge in the last half century, are we any closer to answering man's eternal questions about God? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, April 6th, 2023. So among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day is this. First up is this story. It is another case of the age-old question, just because we can do something, does that mean that we should? And you often have these stories of moral and ethical conundrums that come up when we let technology get ahead of our consideration of all of the implications of the technology. And, you know, it happened, it it, it always happens. I I think back of DNA, uh, the discovery of DNA, which today, by the way, uh, is the uh, anniversary of uh, the announcement. It was on this day in 2000 that a private company mapping the human uh, genetic blueprint announced it had decoded all of the DNA pieces that make up the genetic pattern of a human being, which kind of opens the door to human cloning, right? And uh, so this big uh, conundrum, just because we can do it, does that mean we should? We let the technology get ahead of all of the moral and ethical considerations. Well, here is the latest story, and it involves artificial intelligence. A mayor in a town in Australia may become the first person to sue a chatbot. Apparently, he's going after the creators of ChatGPT over claims that the artificial intelligence, the AI-powered chatbot, falsely labeled him as a criminal. Brian Hood sent a legal notice to parent company OpenAI last month after its web app wrongly implicated him in a bribery and corruption scandal. Uh, ChatGPT has thrust artificial intelligence tools into the headlines with users exploiting its impressive power to streamline everything from answering mundane emails to cheating on school exams. But uh, the mayor of Hepburnshire, Hepburnshire, uh, Australia, which is a couple hours northwest of Melbourne, said this week that the flaws in the technology uh, shocked him. He was horrified. He said, I was stunned uh, that it was so incorrect. He was speaking to Australian broadcasters. Uh, He said he had been alerted to the disturbing results from the app by friends and colleagues. It's one thing to get something a little bit wrong. It's something else to be accusing someone of being a criminal and having served jail time when the truth is actually the exact opposite. So the true story is 
that before he took office, and again, he's the mayor of this town, before taking office, he had worked for a financial company, and there was, in fact, a bribery scandal, but he was not involved. He was the whistleblower. But somehow, the artificial intelligence chatbot got all of this messed up, and uh, when the chatbot was asked about the bribery scandal and Mr. Hood's role in it, it returned results that falsely claimed he had been jailed for corruption when he was actually the uh, whistleblower. Uh, Mr. Hood's attorney say, uh, says that the uh, information was defamatory and had damaged the mayor's reputation, and if they don't fix it, then they will sue. So no legal action has been taken yet, but uh, the company has yet to respond. It's uh, yet another one of those questions of, are we letting technology get ahead of ourselves here? Have we created a monster? I don't know, but that's kind of scary. I wonder what the whole thing would say about me. I'm not sure I want to know, you know? Uh, So here's... uh, Item number two, the first things you need to know this morning, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. How many times have have we said, kind of half-jokingly, in today's um, politically correct environment, that what we need is a dictionary of all of the words that we can no longer say? <laughs> That's what we need. We need a list. Somebody give me a list of all of the things, all of the words that I can no longer say because they're offensive to someone. Well, now Michigan State University has done just that. Uh, They have come up with a a list, um, a guide to inclusivity. Um, If you are confused as to what deceptively innocent terms are actually very offensive, the Michigan State University's inclusive guide is here to help get your vocabulary into alignment with strategic efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion. For example, if you were to use the words gift, or bunny, or female, or America, or Christmas tree, you might think that those are innocuous, inoffensive words, but no, all of those words are actually on the list. (laughs) If they don't offend you, they should. According to this, uh, this list, referring to classmates as freshmen or upperclassmen is a no-no. Instead, the guide suggests you swap those for first-year and advanced students. Now, I would think advanced would be less, uh, that, that would be more offensive to say someone is advanced and someone else isn't, as opposed to upperclassmen. But, all right, um... But apparently, we need to use the word advanced instead of upperclassmen. This, uh, they say, will avoid male-centric and Western father-son language. All right. I guess the word men in upperclassmen is is the problem. Apparently, the word female is a pejorative term that reduces women to their assumed biological anatomy. (laughs) So, female is no good. Um... Don't refer to anyone as crazy, nuts, or loony. Uh, that's ableist language. Okay, that I, I understand the uh, idea behind that. 
Not necessarily. You can call them silly. You can't call someone crazy or nuts. You can call them absurd, but not loony. You can call them outrageous. That's fine. But uh, anyway, now there is a list. Finally, if that's, that's what we wanted. We wanted a list. Somebody put together a list, and it was Michigan State University. So thank you very much. <laughs> All right, then. We'll have to uh, download that list and study that so I know what I can't say anymore. Uh, This may not come as a a big shock. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of people who said that uh, this is true for a long time now, but Americans are spending less time working than they did before the pandemic. The average U.S. work week has dropped by more than a half hour over the last three years. This is according to new data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um... A half an hour less, uh, we are working half hour less than we did before the pandemic. That has enabled some Americans to emulate their European counterparts, they say, spend more time on leisure and other activities. However, um, a recent poll by the Wall Street Journal found that Americans place less importance on hard work than they once did. And this may be even more uh, problematic. Um, The reason, they say is because hard work doesn't pay off. 10 to 30% of employers misclassify employees as gig workers, which denies them workers' compensation, unemployment insurance, and other benefits. A misclassified construction worker could lose as much as $16,000 a year in benefits. I said the pandemic also raised the stakes for frontline workers like nurses, bus drivers, warehouse workers, and so on. People working hard, but actually not making a sufficient wage Uh, not earning sufficient benefits, and they are certainly not getting the kind of benefits that an earlier generation got. So that's why people are not working as as hard uh, as they uh, once did. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, if you thought that uh, people just don't want to work anymore, uh, people just aren't working hard anymore, it's not a uh, generational thing so much as it is people not realizing why? Why work hard when you're not going to get ahead? I just... It's kind of interesting. Uh, let's see here. And a couple of other uh, items among the first things that you need to know this morning. Atlanta's airport, once again, the busiest in the world. The uh, latest list is out from the industry group Airports Council International. At Hartsfield-Jackson Airport in Atlanta, the busiest on earth last year. It's the uh, hub, the uh, home for Delta Airlines. Saw 94 million passengers uh, last year year pass through the uh, airport. 94 million passengers. And the competition wasn't even close. Number two on the list, Dallas-Fort Worth, had uh, like 74 million. So 20 million fewer passengers. Um, So if you are traveling, uh, your spring and summer uh, getaway, going through Atlanta, pack lots of patience because it will be crowded. And uh, finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a new analysis of 107 previous studies involving 4.8 million adults has found that moderate drinking may not provide health benefits as previously believed. The concept, you see, was based on misleading studies, according to the Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research. Uh, Previous research compared moderate drinkers with those who abstain from alcohol entirely. 
But the second group included people who already had health problems. So they were at a disadvantage going in. Moderate drinkers also typically tend to be more wealthy and have other healthy habits that protect them. So when those differences are taken into consideration, they say, the supposed health benefits of drinking moderately shrink dramatically and become statistically insignificant. So there you go. It's not that uh, moderate drinking can keep you healthy. It's that the people who drink moderately have other healthy habits. So... Hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly sunny today, a high of 53. Partly cloudy tonight, a low of 37. The Hancock County Sheriff's Office has released the name of the driver killed in a crash west of Arlington last week. The Sheriff's Office says that driver was 69-year-old Brian Welly of Genera. The crash happened on State Route 103 near Township Road 70 between Arlington and Genera. The Sheriff's Office says Welly's SUV went off the road, hit some trees, and caught on fire. Get more on the website. An arrest has been made in a series of incidents involving people posing as Cleveland police and pulling over drivers and robbing them at gunpoint. Cleveland police on the west side of the city spotted a car believed to have been involved in a police impersonation incident from Sunday. They then followed the car to Worley Avenue. The U.S. Marshals Task Force then arrested him. I'm told a woman and children were also inside that car. Now police say the driver was arrested for an outstanding felony drug warrant and tampering with evidence. Other charges are being investigated. I'm as- Lawrence. Finley Mayor Christina Mern has issued a proclamation declaring April as Second Chance Month in Findlay. We all make mistakes and making sure that a community looks for opportunities to help people live a productive life and be an active member of our society is really important. The mayor invites people to join her in contributing to increased public awareness about the need for closure for those who have paid their debt and opportunities for individuals, employers, congregations, and communities to extend second chances. Get more on the website. A dangerous and deadly fungus is spreading in Ohio. Candida auris, also called C. auris, is a drug-resistant fungal infection that spreads easily in hospitals and nursing homes. We first reported this two weeks ago, showing up in Ohio with 79 cases. New information from the Ohio Department of Health shows now 416 cases in the state, with more than half in Hamilton County in the Cincinnati area. I'm Clay Gordon. Finley City School students are getting some days off for spring break. The school district's spring break will run from today through Monday. Remember, you can get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now we get to our cover story this morning. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. And Hancock County Job and Family Services Director Randall Galbraith is uh, with us this morning in the uh, studio. The uh, most visible representation of uh, Child Abuse Prevention Month uh, can be found uh, downtown to the uh, Hancock County Courthouse with the uh, pinwheel display. Yes, we've uh, put out 100 pinwheels at the courthouse to, to symbolize the 100 children that in 2022 were adjudicated by Hancock County Juvenile Court to be abused, neglected, or dependent. So, I, again, this each of these represents one case. When you see it uh, like that, it's 
you know, it's kind of an eye opener uh, for just how pervasive uh, this issue is. Yes, that, and that's definitely the intent yeah. is to jar a little bit because these uh, due to the confidential confidentiality that surrounds these cases, of course, they can get lost and from public view. That's a very good point. And uh, a couple of things for uh, to keep in mind, and I know this is part of uh, the uh, awareness uh, part of this, is that number one, I think. Uh, oftentimes we tend to think of abuse in, I don't want to say limited terms, but we have kind of one definition of that, whatever for everybody, it may be different, but there is a lot more than just one kind of abuse. Absolutely. So, you know, traditionally people think of a child abuse as being a physical, some kind of physical altercation between the child and the adult. And obviously can be much more than that uh, from anything from uh, deplorable living conditions to a child not being um, uh, made to go to school, uh, uh, any number of things that can be happening in a household that's detrimental to the welfare of a child. And this crosses all lines. That's another one of the myths is that it is not limited to uh, low income or you know certain groups of individuals, uh, that kind of thing. Certainly true. Much like substance abuse disorder, it crosses every single societal boundary. And so the prevention part of Child Abuse Prevention Month is uh, experts, and I know you've said this, that everyone has a responsibility to help address the problem. The question is, how? How? So the there's many, many ways to do this from the tiniest action to, you know, the most obvious action. Uh, you know, the most obvious thing is if, some, if someone in the public were to uh, see uh, a child being abused is uh, to call my agency and make a report of that. Obviously, if that is abuse is going on right in front of you at that time and it's an emergency, 911 is the appropriate response. Uh, sheriff's office uh, takes our after hours calls after uh, before eight o'clock in the morning after four thirty, but between the hours of eight and four thirty, I have a dedicated person to take uh, reports, and that number is four one nine four two nine eight zero zero eight. That's eight to four thirty. So there's a number of ways to report that. That's the most obvious. Uh, I think the less obvious way uh, is to get involved. And there's lots of volunteer opportunities within Hancock County uh, from very, very um, intense, time-consuming, high-level uh, ways of being involved. And one of those would be Hancock County Court-Appointed Special Advocates. Mm-hmm. The CASA program run through the juvenile court um, is a way for people to volunteer to get involved in kids' lives to um, help represent that child through the process, the, the abuse and neglect dependency process in court. Uh, they are uh, been restructured. They're looking for volunteers. Uh, you can find them at www.hancockcountycasa.org, 419-424-7011. Another way to get involved, a little less intensive, but still uh, directly involved, is Open Arms Domestic Violence Shelter. So many of these children are come from a domestic violence situation. Uh, Open Arms has many volunteer opportunities, and that's www.openarmsfindley.com. 419-420-9261. Two ways that can be involved that uh, maybe you don't have as much time or a little less intense, United Way Hancock County uh, obviously has all kinds of volunteer opportunities, lots of things that they do for kids. Uh, that's uh, www.liveunitedhancockcounty.org, 419-423-1432. Many, many volunteer opportunities there. And there's also some opportunities at the uh, Center for Safe and Healthy Children here in Hancock County, 
www.hancocksafechildren.org, 419-425-1475. And there are also things out there like Children's Mentoring Connection. There's all kinds of volunteer opportunities. Uh, schools, the biggest way to be, uh, prevent child abuse is simply to be involved uh, with kids. There is a a certain measure of this being an uphill battle because I think many of us have this natural aversion to wanting to get involved. Yes, and that, that's certainly something that to overcome. It's a uh, maybe a not in my backyard, or maybe mm-hmm. it's a this is none of my business. But these children are certainly still Hancock County residents. They're going to be here. Uh, they will if you have a dysfunctional family that dysfunctional family will be in Hancock County as will their children as will their children I think one of the other things uh, as well is the fear that maybe we are misreading a, a situation or the idea that you know there are certain individuals who have reporting requirements when yes. they see the warning signs like uh, educators and, yes. and so on um, and the idea that we kind of tell ourselves in the back of our mind is that these are the people who know what to look for and and you know they will take care of it right certainly our mandatory reporters which include school personnel hospital personnel law enforcement personnel uh, they obviously report uh, many 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 of these situations to us but uh, they're not the only ones and they aren't there all the time they are not you know the more eyes the better i guess uh, but for people that want to make a report to us or feel like they should make a report to us, the uh, identity of the reporter is sacrosanct in Ohio. It's uh, the confidentiality of that of that person, the identity of that person is actually in revealing that is in criminal code. So that is something, no matter what, we cannot reveal. Um, and we took about 1,500 reports of abuse in 2022. We had a little over 500 that we opened, of those reports we opened and investigated, uh, that resulted in, like I said, uh, 100 kids being adjudicated, abused, and neglected or dependent. And just because someone makes a report uh, does not mean that it'll meet the threshold for us to investigate or open. Well, with respect to that, because, uh, again, you talk about you know 1,500, just the, the simple math, and maybe this isn't really fair, but you talk about uh, getting 1,500 reports, but 100 cases were, were open. So that means the vast majority of those reports actually don't result uh, in, in an open case. So... Again, I don't want to reinforce that mindset of, oh, I'm probably just imagining it. No, no, because uh, oftentimes the uh, quantity of reports has a quality all its own. Uh, So maybe there's a report that's not actionable at that particular moment, Hmm. but uh, reports are uh, kept track of. So if, if, uh, if there's a number of reports about the same child at some point in time, that number is going to stack up and we're going to take a much harder look at that. Mm, going to be a red flag even yes, of itself. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, again, and I think we've all had one of these, just throw out a scenario here, because I think we've all had these uh, incidents in the past. We're out in a public place, maybe in a store, we're shopping, and we see something where a parent is uh, yelling at a child or maybe disciplining a child, what we would consider to be inappropriately. But I don't know who that person is. I don't know who that child is. Do I follow them out and get a license plate number? Or do I, I mean, you know, how do we deal with these types of things that we might encounter on a daily basis? First and foremost, keep yourself safe. Um, You know, if you, if you can uh, keep yourself safe and get some identifying 
information, that's great. Uh, if not, go ahead and call it in. Uh, we may talk to the store. We may see if there's cameras. Uh, there's a number of things that, that we can do to, to try to identify that. And like I said, sometimes just putting it on the radar that there's something going on and yeah. maybe we should take a look at it. Yeah. Again, as we mentioned, April is child abuse prevention month. We see the pinwheels down at the uh, Hancock County courthouse. It is a reminder that this is something that touches our community as it does everyone, uh, everywhere. And as you mentioned, all kinds of ways to help and, uh, and get involved. Thank you very much, Chris, for having me down here today. I appreciate it. And once again, uh, if there's any kind of opportunity you'd like to be involved in a child's life, uh, reach out, take a look around on the web. There's th- tons of things to do. Can all make a difference. Yes, again, we can. Uh, Hancock County uh, Job and Family Services Director Randall Gobberth with us this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. Thank you, Chris. Well, a new report from the job search site monster.com says, and this is just mind-boggling to me, 96% of employed individuals are looking for a new job this year. Now, for some of those, they may be more serious about it than others, but apparently, and there are a fair number of people who are very serious about it because data from Bankrate finds 56% say they would not be deterred at all by an economic recession. You know, even before the pandemic upended the labor market, this generation of workers was much less likely to stay with a single company their entire career. So how do top companies keep top talent? 20-year HR veteran Joe Mull is host of the Boss Better Now podcast and author of Employalty, How to Ignite Commitment and Keep Top Talent in the New Age of Work. And Joe, the big question, the one that those of us from previous generations just can't understand is why why do these younger workers seem so eager to jump from job to job well what's interesting chris is that it's not just younger workers right now we are seeing more job switching in the marketplace than we have in the previous decade but this has been a steady climb we've seen Uh, employees poking their head up out of the sand and looking around more frequently than ever before. In fact, since the last recession in 2008, the number of people annually who have changed jobs has more than doubled, and it's been an incremental increase every year. And it's really largely driven by people looking for upgrades to quality of life. I think that we have a picture in our heads that the pandemic alone upended the labor market. Right. Burnout was at an all-time high in the workplace prior to anyone ever hearing of the coronavirus because work has just continued to encroach in every corner of our lives. So there's a lot of switching taking place across the market. So given that that seems to be the prevailing mindset, then, is it even possible for companies to cultivate any sort of loyalty among their workers anymore? Or at the very least, do we have to redefine what loyalty means? No, that's a smart question. And it is absolutely possible to get or to, to get employees to join and stay and to care and try about their work. What employers have to do is create a more humane employee experience that actually allows workers to enjoy a higher quality of life. And for some employees, that's better pay. For some employees, that's more flexibility around when and where and how they work. For some employees, that's a better boss or a, or a less toxic workplace or more fulfilling work. But across the board, what we are seeing is that if employees get to do what's their ideal job, doing meaningful work for a great boss, they tend to stay and they tend to give it all they've got. 
you know, what you're saying actually kind of plays into something that I have long believed, uh, that people don't leave a job because of what it pays. There's always something else. I mean, if you've been coming into work every day for a certain amount of money, you don't just wake up one day and decide it's suddenly not enough. There's always an underlying issue that what you're getting paid can't overcome. Would that be fair to say? That's fair to say most of the time. So there is a, a group of folks across the workforce for whom wages have remained largely stagnant for nearly 40 years. Up until about a year and a half ago, we had seen almost no wage movement at all. And for those folks who simply cannot make ends meet, there are some circumstances where I may be in love with my work and the people I work with, mm-hmm. but I still got to go across the street for an extra $2 an hour because my kid needs braces. But in nearly every other case, what you've just said is spot on accurate. There's a whole host of conditions we need to experience at work in order to be engaged, to be emotionally and psychologically activated. What we say in this new book is that people generally do a great job when they believe they have a great job. And what leads people to believe that they have a great job is whether or not that job fits into their life like a puzzle piece snapping into place and that gives them work that they find meaningful and that where they enjoy the people that they work with. Okay, so uh, if uh, money then is not, in most cases, the be-all and end-all, then what is the best way for an employer to leverage that mindset to retain top talent? Yeah, so we analyzed more than 200 research studies and articles around why people quit a job or take a new one or decide to stay long-term with an organization in a post-pandemic world. And we've identified these three employee experiences that need to be consistent. We call them ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss. So ideal job does involve pay, but it also includes flexibility, and a manageable workload. Meaningful work is about whether or not I believe my work matters, it it, it has purpose, whether or not that work aligns with my strengths and talents, and whether I experience belonging at work, whether I feel like I'm a celebrated part of the team. And then that last ingredient of great boss, you know, you, you know this, Chris, there are dozens of things that any leader has to get right before an employee is going to call them a great boss. Yeah. But it looks like the most important are trust, coaching, and advocacy, right? Does my boss care about me as a person? Do they trust me? Do they work to, to coach me and care about minding me for my ideas and my creativity? When we have employers who are creating those three experiences, ideal job, meaningful work, and great boss, they become a destination workplace. And as we're talking about retaining the top talent among the people that you have, uh, the same thing goes when it comes to attracting top talent to fill a job, obviously, right? Absolutely. And and we're living in a, a moment right now where it is harder than ever before to find the people to apply to positions, but it's not because nobody wants to work. It's because there's more opportunity than ever before to actually look for an upgrade. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The the numbers these days suggest that there is a quote-unquote labor shortage. Uh, Is there really, and what is your response to those employers who gripe that nobody wants to work anymore? Yeah, it's not necessarily the case. What's probably truer is that nobody wants to work for them. And I think when we turn the mirror inward and we really work to understand that as the problem to solve, we start fixing the right thing. So we have a, a, a local business owner in my community who posts on Facebook constantly, please help me find good people. No one wants to work. And then he posts his hours and his pay. 
And it's been really interesting to see people in the community come back and say, no, no, no. It's just that nobody wants to work for you. Yeah. When you look at the numbers right now, there is absolutely not a staffing shortage. There's a great job shortage. There are opportunities for people to change careers, to try something new, to go to a new employer like never before. And so if we understand that our job is not to try to find the best person for the job, but to instead create the best job for the person, Mm. we actually engineer the kind of employee experience that leads people to want to be a part of what we're doing. So... If I let's turn this around a little bit. If I am an employee looking, I mean, we're talking about you know ways to create those jobs that people want to work, or these places that people want to work, and the bosses that people want to work for. If I'm an employee who's looking, what is my best shot at finding that ideal job? I mean, what should I be looking for? How can I tell if this is the kind of place where my employalty will be rewarded? However, I define that. Well, in most cases, you're probably going to find that by talking to somebody else in your network who is already having that experience where they work. And this is what we see at these employers who are not struggling to find and keep talent. Their employees are their best recruiters. If you go to work every day and you're treated well, you make a decent wage, you're able to pay your bills, save a little, have a little bit of time that you can take off every once in a while to go on vacation with your family, and you've got a decent boss to treat you with respect, you're probably telling the people in your circle about that. If you send up a flag and say, hey, I'm thinking about looking for a new opportunity, anybody out there really love what they're doing or where they're working, people are going to tell you. And so mining your personal network and asking them about their experiences is probably the shortest path to that. I... I I'm curious, what does it say about the state of the the workplace in general, uh, the state of work in general, that we need a book to tell us these things that really are rather obvious? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I ended up writing this book as a result of an interview I was doing very much like this one, where at the end of the interview, the host said, okay, Joe, let's get you out of here on this. In one sentence, where does commitment come from at work? And I've been doing this work for 20 years, man. And and I realized that I could not put it into a single sentence. And if you ask leaders and business owners, hey, what what should we do to motivate and inspire employees? You'll hear dozens of different answers. And so it does seem like, how are we not able to compartmentalize this in a way that's easy to understand? And so that's really why we went out and tried to write this book to create this simple scorecard that employers and business owners can use to say, what are we doing well? Where are our gaps? What's the blueprint for fixing the things that matter most to people? The takeaway is that, yes, it can be done. That's really the uh, enduring message here. The book is Employalty, How to Ignite Commitment and Keep Top Talent in the New Age of Work. Uh, 20-year HR veteran Joe Mull is the uh, author, host of the Boss Better Now podcast. Where do we learn more about the book, Joe? You can find it online anywhere you buy business books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or you can find me directly at joemull.com, J-O-E-M-U-L-L.com. Joe, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So coming up at the end of this month, it is the backyard mission trip, and volunteers are still needed Need to find those uh, neighbors helping neighbors. Julie Brown is with us uh, for the backyard mission trip. This has a uh, long history. They've been doing this for a number of years in right. the community. 
since 2010. Yeah. In some years, we've helped up to 250 families, and wow. on average, 200 families. So I, it's a big, a lot to get done in one day. I know the the inspiration for this, and it seems so so simple. Um, you know, a lot of uh, individuals, groups, church groups, and and so on will go on mission trips, uh, maybe overseas or to uh, big cities and and things, and and help people. Uh, in in various ways. Well, there's a great need right here in our own backyard, hence the backyard mission trip. Right. We have people who are elderly who might just need help with a little outdoor project, Um, people who live in poverty. So we definitely have neighbors in need. So the idea was, why don't we just you know, rally the forces and take care of our neighbors. The one thing that, I mean, just demonstrates the need for uh, and and how... uh, you know, great of an event this is and the great need for it is the fact that when this comes around every year there's no shortage of projects never there's plenty of projects yeah but the volunteers this year especially are hard so this is you know we're here sos you know if you can do it we'd love to have you so what uh and i know you mentioned you know some of the uh, some of the projects um what types of projects are we talking about what types of volunteers are you uh looking for because i know a lot of people say well i don't know what i really right. can do a lot of them are yard cleanup projects or some easy paintings so those are things most anyone can do yeah. so i you know i used to have my own excuses why i wouldn't volunteer you know <laughs> i'm not i don't I'm not a good painter or i'm mm-hmm. not this or that but if you can hold a rake or if you can't hold a rake, if you can hold the bag, <laughs> whatever yeah. that is, I think most of us have a skill we can bring. The other thing that I know uh, has been borne out uh, is that many hands make light work, as they say. So when you get a group of volunteers together, as you said, it's the, the goal is to do this all in one day. Right. Uh, and with enough volunteers, it's not as daunting a task as what you might think. No, and it's also fun, right? You get 10 people, you do a yard, knock it out in a couple hours maybe. So there's the fun of rallying together too. So, so yeah, we work in teams. We're not going to send you out there by yourself. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's fun being on a team. It's always fun. And teams, when you say that, uh, can be really any group of individuals. Right, church groups or, um, you know, a club or your family, whatever that is, Um Kids can volunteer as long as the parents are along. So if you have some teenagers, um, that would be great to have their their energy too. It's a great uh, thing to uh, put on, you know, a, a college application right. or even a resume. Or you know, uh, got scouts who are looking for you know good deeds to do, merit badges, and all of that sort of thing. Too, right. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and what is the process for volunteering then? It's pretty easy. You just go to the website. It's finleybmt.com or just Google Finley Backyard Mission Trip and we'll pop right up. And there's an easy link and you click that link and fill it out and show up on April 22nd at the fairground. What, uh, what sort of uh, information do you need uh, in the application? I mean, just what... What skill, if you do have any skills, you know, if you, um, we would sure love to have those, but just what you're interested in doing, how you want to spend the day. And, um, if you have people you want to work with, let us know that it's, it's, it won't take five minutes to fill it out. And, uh, I, I know that it's not an emphasis on the projects because you've got a lot of projects right, uh, right now, but that deadline is still a couple of days We're, away. What about for, uh, the volunteers? I mean, when do you right up to people? the end? Any, I mean, I, 
we really need you to register. But if you showed up April 22nd <laughs> at the fairgrounds, we would find a team and get you signed up and send you out. Yeah, kind of lay out uh, what happens uh, on this day. And then, uh, like we said, it's April the 22nd is right. the actual day for the Backyard Mission trip. Uh, although I suppose we should mention that if you can't do the 22nd, if you've got a team that's uh, absolutely unavailable on the 22nd, I mean, you can work with that. Yeah, bit. definitely just email us and let us know and we'll yeah. figure out something yeah. else for you to fit. But for the, uh, for the event itself on April 27th or 22nd, rather, um, what does the day, uh, entail? Well, we meet at the fairgrounds in the old Millstream building mm-hmm. and we'll make sure you're well-fed breakfast and lunch. We'll make sure you have, uh, get some good goodies t-shirt all those things and you know which team you're on what tools you need and then you go out into the community and do that work and when your projects are done you just can go home that's as simple as that yeah. and uh again you strive to make it as as easy as possible one of the things i know that's really cool is to drive around the community uh on that day and see uh, all of the projects that are that are being done not only is it great for the individuals obviously who are, are getting the work done that they need done but uh it, it really is a community building event oh definitely and i mean hancock county is a beautiful place to live and it's just one more reminder of that you know we do care about our neighbors and and i don't think neighbors just in a geographical sense neighbors like in a uh, as a moral construct like these are people we care about and we take care of so um that's what i love about living here so it's another example of that and uh, it really is, if you ask anyone who's uh, ever done it before, the what they get out of it, uh, helping others, I mean, the people who have this work done, again, whether it's just yard work or painting or even occasionally something a little more elaborate, uh, just so incredibly appreciative. Right, and you get to meet them, they're there, you, get, you know, you get to see what a big difference it makes. It's not some anonymous project and we go home we never see what difference it makes you'll know that yeah. day yeah you, that's that's a good point and there's something to be said for knowing and you know mm-hmm. just how uh, impactful your volunteering has been right. so for the uh, community in the backyard mission trip coming up april the 22nd mention again the uh, website where folks can get more information and sign up finleybmt.com and all of your questions answered there. So. It's a really nice website. Whoever put that together did a great job. <laughs> I'm impressed. Uh, we've got it linked up at our webpage as well, too, goodmornings.net. So uh, if you can't remember the address, just head to our website, and we've got the link posted there. Again, Julie Brown with the uh, Backyard Mission Trip. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Chris. Great to see you. Information that makes a difference. Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A customer of a market in Warren, Michigan is facing charges of assault with a frozen fish. <laughs> that just sounds weird to say, doesn't it? But it is uh, It is true. It is a legitimate, legitimate charge. Uh, police say one Jobul Hussein went to the market on Nine Mile Road shortly after 7 p.m. on Sunday, but the fish counter was closed due to Ramadan. A uh, very large uh, Muslim population in uh, in Detroit and so uh, in the surrounding area. So uh, not a big surprise. The fish counter was closed due to Ramadan. There was a, a clerk there that was cleaning up, 
And uh, Mr. Hussein began arguing with said clerk and then picked up a four-pound frozen fish and struck the worker upside the head. Uh, the worker was taken to a local hospital for a treatment. I would imagine a concussion. Uh, you get hit upside the head with a four-pound frozen fish. That's that's going to hurt. Uh, Mr. Hussein has been arraigned on charges of aggravated assault with a frozen fish. And uh, <laughs> he will be back in court very soon. So follow up and see how that story turns out. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news... What was supposed to be a fun night of karaoke took a turn after a Florida man was denied another song and pulled out an 18-inch machete. (laughs) He was serious about his karaoke. Travis Jordan, age 39, was arrested for disturbing the peace at Kennedy's Lamp Post Tavern in Cape Canaveral on Sunday, according to... To local news reports, when deputies responded to the scene, Mr. Jordan was found with bloodshot eyes and a strong smell of alcohol. A female witness told authorities that Mr. Jordan pulled out the machete after his request to sing another karaoke song was denied. (laughs) Uh, The woman was able to coax Mr. Jordan into handing over the knife, which she hid while she called law enforcement. Uh, Mr. Jordan told police he had the machete because he wanted to stay alert and protect himself. He said he had been threatened days earlier. I don't know if it had anything to do with the karaoke issue, but he said uh, he did admit that when he pulled out the machete, he was not in danger at the moment. So (laughs) he's in trouble with the law. Oh, my goodness. Never deny a drunken karaoke singer one more song. Just one more. Just one more encore. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. A duo in North Carolina has been arrested after knocking out the Internet in Connecticut. A duo from a pair of individuals from North Carolina have been arrested after knocking out the Internet in Connecticut. Uh, The... Individuals, Austin Keith Gettings, age 26, and 30-year-old Jillian Nicole Persons were arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit criminal mischief and larceny and interfering with a police officer. Uh, Mr. Persons, uh, or Ms. Persons, I should say, was uh, also charged with giving a false statement to police. All of this in connection with an incident on March 24th that left over 40,000 homes and businesses without internet service. According to the police report, the twosome cut over 2,000 fiber optic lines, but what is unclear, and this is the bizarre part of the story, why they traveled from North Carolina to Connecticut just to cut the cables is not known. (laughs) Their court hearing Scheduled for April 11th. Maybe they will explain themselves then. We'll follow up. <laughs> That's wild. Why would you drive from North Carolina? I mean, if you were hell-bent on uh, cutting off the Internet to thousands of people, couldn't you do that in North Carolina? I mean, they do have the Internet in North Carolina, I believe. So, I don't know. Um, crazy story. Um... There have been lots of stories in the news about uh, weird things happening on airplanes, usually disruptive passengers and so on. Well, this was a 
disruptive passenger that really should not have been on the plane. A pilot in South Africa is being hailed for keeping his cool and his passengers safe when he recently found himself sharing the cockpit with a venomous cobra. Uh, Rudolph Erasmus tells the BBC he was ferrying four passengers between South African cities, between a pair of South African cities, uh, headed to Pretoria when he felt something on the back of his shirt. As I turned and looked down, I saw the snake, a cobra, receding its head backwards underneath the seat and slithering underneath the seat. Ew! Uh, this all happened at 11,000 feet. He was at 11,000 feet, uh, and it was a Cape Cobra, the kind of snake whose bite can kill a human in 30 minutes. Uh, fortunately, not only did the pilot keep it cool, so did the snake. The snake did not bite. Uh, not to panic his passengers, Mr. Erasmus first told them that there was an extra unwanted vo- uh, voyager on the plane. <laughs> Uh, that was prompting them to return to land sooner than expected. Eventually, he admitted, you know, he told the passengers what was going on. He told them there was a a state. He said, I did inform the passengers, listen, the snake is inside the aircraft. It's underneath my seat. So let's try and get down to the ground as soon as we can. (laughs) Uh, You could hear a needle drop in the plane, he said. And I think everyone froze for a moment. Uh, the uh, pilot safely landed in Welcome, South Africa, a little more than 200 miles away from their intended destination, but I don't think anybody complained. I don't think anybody complained. Everybody was safe. No word on the fate of the snake, but that is crazy. Man, one of the most venomous snakes in the world at 11,000 feet. Yikes! <laughs> I want no more snakes on this plane in real life. And finally, in the broken news this morning, now this may be the scariest story that I have ever heard. You know how artificial intelligence, these chatbots uh, are you know, all the rage now. Well, a computer programmer by the name of Jessica Card uh, got an inspiration to connect her uh, AI computer uh, with the chat GPT AI bot and connected this artificial intelligence computer to the iconic millennial robo toy Furby. <laughs> she connected her artificial intelligence to her Furby. <laughs> the first thing she did is ask it if it was planning to take over the world. And it responded, Furby's plan to take over the world involves infiltrating households through their cute and cuddly appearance, then using their advanced AI technology to manipulate and control their owners. (laughs) This could be the most frightening thing I have ever heard. I can envision an army of intelligent Furbies (laughs) marching down the street. Can you imagine the calls to 911? Send out the National Guard. We've got an army of Furbies invading. (laughs) 
Why would you even do such a thing? Why would you even tempt fate, you might ask? Well, Ms. Card said she was uh, fanatical about getting her own Furby when they first came out. She was a little kid. She (laughs) She currently... So she thought, hey, wonder what would happen if... You know, that's how... That's how the world ends. If you've ever watched any of those uh, sci-fi disaster films, that's exactly how the world ends. Because somebody thinks, gee, I wonder what would happen if... (laughs) What what in the world? Uh, She says she currently has about five Furbies for testing purposes, uh, but her original is still at home and has not been... So her original is not turned yet. the most frightening thing that I have ever heard in my life. Help! There's an army of Furbies! We're being taken over! Send out the National Guard! There you go. Uh, That is today's program. This is how humanity will end at the hands of intelligent robotic Furbies. Uh, (laughs) That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the news. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Ever wonder what being a Findlay Rotarian is all about? I'm Angela Dabosky, CEO of the United Way of Hancock County. Being a Rotarian offers meaningful connections with community leaders and to what's going on in organizations across Hancock County. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, all part of a worldwide service club, contact Findlay Rotary at FindlayRotary.org and click on join. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. How often do you clash with your kids? If you're a parent, you know that this is just part and parcel to parenting. And according to a new survey of 2,000 parents of kids under the age of four that was evenly split between moms and dads, 1,000 moms, 1,000 dads, 2,000 people total, parents on average, disagree with their child every other day. (laughs) Every other day. Uh, And in the battle with the babies, 45% of the dads in the survey say that they have those tantrums under control compared to 42% of moms. Apparently, dads are a little bit better at dealing with this than moms are. The average parent compromises with their child about four times per week. Moms, more likely than dads, to let their kids go to bed later, 59% versus 48%. But dads find themselves bargaining more over bath time, 37% to 28%. (laughs) Um, Now, 6 in 10 claim that they have mastered bath time, 61%. 59%, when you talk about what causes these tantrums, what leads to the tantrums, bath time, uh, bedtime routines, 59% of uh, parents overall say that they have that mastered. Morning routines are the cause of uh, tantrums for 58% of the parents in the survey. Snuggling and bonding time... 58% of parents say they've got that down pat. Well, that's actually very encouraging. The survey was conducted by one poll on behalf of Baby Magic. Uh, results also show that dads 
have a slight edge over moms when it comes to tantrum control overall. As I mentioned, 49 or 45 to 42 percent, but three in four respondents. And this is uh, what will make you feel a little bit better, mom and dad, if it if you seem like. You know, you're always battling with your kids. They're always throwing tantrums. And I know because I've been there and we've all been there. And you think that we're doing something wrong, that everybody is a better parent than we are, uh, that we're the only ones who who deal with this. But in reality, three out of four respondents, 74 percent say that their children have thrown a temper uh, temper tantrum in the past month. So. You are certainly not alone. We've all dealt with it. Uh, but interesting, dads a little bit better at dealing with this than moms are. At least that's what they admit in this survey. So I'm thinking mom will hear that and say, hey, we'll just let dad deal with it from now on. <laughs> to our throwback thursday segment this morning with this being holy week the most sacred time of the christian calendar it is worth bringing up one of the biggest challenges that the church faces today and that is primarily younger adults who have fallen away from the faith church attendance is on the decline and has been steadily for several years Perhaps it's because with so many scientific advancements in their lifetime, it becomes harder and harder for younger adults to believe in something that cannot be definitively and scientifically proven. But is there such a thing as faith confirmed by science? Richard Crawland is a very learned individual, just like the rest of his family. He is a mathematician, a firm believer in evidence-based knowledge. He comes from a long uh, line of phys- uh, physicists, engineers, rocket scientists, etc., etc., etc. So he is probably not the kind of person you would expect to be the author of a book about finding God. But indeed he is. It's called Enlightened in the 21st Century. And back in February of 2020, we spoke to him about that book and his faith. It is today's Throwback Thursday. Like we said, your background and your family's background reads kind of like the type of people, honestly, reads like the type of people that we typically think of as uh, atheist or at least agnostic. Have you always had a strong faith in, in God and religion? Uh, no, uh, I was raised uh, in, in the Roman Catholic tradition. I went to Catholic schools for 16 years. But as a small child, to me, going to church was torture. I mean, the, the masses were in Latin. I had no idea what was going on. Mm. I had to wear uncomfortable clothes. I had to sit in a, in a pew and be quiet for an hour. Uh, so as soon as I got away from home to college, I got away from all that. I basically lost my faith. Didn't mean anything to me. And that lasted, uh, sadly, probably into my 30s before I began to uh, reopen my thinking towards the possibility of of God and religion. Today, you consider yourself an evangelical Christian. Talk about what led to that and, and how you defined that. There was one event, and I described this in the book. Um, I sat down one day in my early 40s and began to read the Gospels. I mean, I thought to myself, if if Christ is really the Son of God and God's created the universe, and He came here to teach us what we needed to know, it's probably worth my time to hear what it was that He had to say. And despite all my Catholic education... We never once were required to read the Gospels, which when I think back on that now, <laughs> that's, just, that's just kind of bizarre, but, but that's the way it was. And uh, 
I sat down to read the Gospel of Matthew, and the message I got from that Gospel was, don't worry about yourself, <clears throat> worry about other people, take care of other people, God will take care of you. And for some reason, that just really touched my heart. It, it, it changed my heart. It, it changed my mind. It changed my behavior. And I began to treat people differently. I became a, a giver for the first time. And, and I won't go into detail now, but in the book I explained, going that next week, from the moment I changed my thinking, changed my behavior, mm-hmm. uh, things, ha- things happened to me going that next week, which, which I described as a miracle. Again, I start out in detail in the book, but God taught me that week that I was now on the right track. And again, relating back to your background, you do not find Scripture to be in conflict with science, as some do. In fact, quite the opposite. Exactly the opposite. As a matter of fact, I've always been a science junkie. My, my daughter is a plasma physicist working at the, at the most powerful laser lab in the world out in Livermore, California. I have a nephew who is responsible for the second stage booster systems for the Duck and Dine rocket at SpaceX that's been resupplying the space station. Another net family member uh, is a biotechnology engineer, PhD from MIT. He's studying uh, genetics, human, human DNA, looking for antiviral drugs. Anyhow, I've got scientists all over the place. And uh, what we've discovered in the last 50 years, and this is really the primary thesis where the book begins, we have learned so much in science over the last 50 years I think most people haven't been paying attention to. And once you examine what we've learned, what you see is that there are absolutely no contradictions between science and religion. Now, people believe there are. Now, I have too many friends that are atheists, and they, you know, they look at the Big Bang to explain the beginning of the universe and mm-hmm. evolution to explain the origins of life, and they've got those crutches, and they, they think everything makes sense without God. Yeah. But if you really look at what's, what we've learned, none of that's true. And that's, I get to some pains in the book to explain just why that's not true and how we know it. And I think I make a very persuasive case. Now, let me ask you this question, though, and this is uh, kind of a uh, the philosophical type of religious question. One of the arguments that, that many pastors and ministers make is that what defines faith is a belief in God without needing any evidence, and if you need to explain or prove God's existence scientifically, then it is really a hollow faith. How would you respond to that? My response to that is that, and you actually touched on it a couple minutes ago, people have used science to create a barrier to God, to create an alternative explanation, to create something that allows people to separate themselves from the reality of God's existence. So what I'm doing is I'm fighting the scientific misconceptions with scientific data that really everybody agrees to now. So I'm tearing down those walls. I'm tearing down that curtain that separates people from God. It's still a matter of faith, but what we know and what we know today, which is much more than we knew 50 years ago, mm-hmm. is completely consistent, completely consistent with the existence of God. If you're an atheist right now and you read this book, you're going to reconsider the things that you've used to deny or to believe otherwise just aren't real, and I can, and I can prove that. The bottom line in the book is that basically your belief uh, that that God is truly watching over us and that if everyone would believe, there would be less worry, less fear, less of the negative that we see in our society today. Yes, absolutely. Not only is he real, but he's present, he's aware of us, and he and you can have a relationship with him. And once you get to that point where you've got a relationship with God, fear and anxiety melt away. I mean, 
why would you worry about something if you know you're going to get all the help you need to overcome it? And problems are something that happen. I mean, people get sick, people die, people lose their jobs, you know, bad things happen. But what you come to realize because you experience it is that no matter what happens, you'll get through it and you'll be fine. And once you get to that point, you can kind of release yourself to stop worrying and start doing good things, start helping people, and your life just improves, you know, dramatically. The book is called Enlightened in the 21st Century, and despite maybe the impression we give, because we're talking about all of these uh, very weighty subjects, it is a very uh, light and easy, uh, quick read. Uh, again, Richard Carlin is the author, and do you have a website in conjunction with the book we can guide folks to? Yeah, absolutely. The website is entitled Enlightened in the 21st Century.com. Uh, 21st is 21SD, all one word, of course, Enlightened in the from February of 2020, our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. You can learn more about the book at our webpage, goodmornings.net. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at goodmornings.net. It is our little corner of the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow on the program to finish up the week, just like tree growers at Christmas time and pumpkins at Halloween, Easter is the biggest season of the year for egg producers. And you might be surprised at just how big it is. Plus, is this really a proper use of artificial intelligence? Finley Brewing Company is launching an AI beer. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.